21st century, global news is bigger, faster, more complicated, and frankly a whole lot scarier than ever. It's hard to know which stories to pay attention to, or how to make sense of it all. Don't worry too much though, because we got you covered. We're International Relations PhDs, and we're here to deliver a lighthearted dose of context and analysis to your podcast app, week after week. We're decoding global politics, so you don't have to. We are... The Elucidators. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Steve Pally, and also, as always, with me is my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How are you doing, Sums? Uh, I'm doing all right, Steve. How are you, man? I'm doing okay. You know, uh, I have to say that I'm a little bummed out by this week's topic. Uh, we had thought that we were going to actually talk about something completely different, uh, Twitter banning political advertising. And we may get into that at some point in, in a later week, uh, but a pretty big news headline um, blew up over the last day or two. Uh, and uh, we decided that we needed to call an audible. Um, and uh, it's it's actually a, a pretty major tragedy. Um, there's been a shooting in northern Mexico. Um, do you want to give us just a few details about that? Yeah, uh, the, the very short version of this is that uh, there was 17 members of a family uh, were in a three-vehicle convoy and in northern Mexico, it came under attack, and it turned out that after this convoy was attacked, nine were killed, including uh, six were wounded, and uh, two left unharmed. Of the nine killed, three were adult women, and the other six were children killed. Uh, this um, this is so we're we're starting here with the very tip, so tip of the iceberg. So it starts as this very horrible, gruesome crime in which women and children are killed. Okay. The next layer down is, who are these people? Well, they're American citizens. Okay, what are American citizens doing there? Well, it turns out that these are Mormons, and they are part of a very large Mormon community that has been that has had their roots in northern Mexico uh, going back as far as like almost 150 years. Yeah, one of the one of the Mormon colonies, um, and so the people who live in these colonies. Uh, a couple sort of uh, important notes about them. Uh, first of all, they're not members of the Church of Latter Day Saints. They consider themselves Mormon fundamentalists. They actually split off from the Mormons or, or the Latter Day Saints, uh, who are headquartered in Salt Lake City in Utah. Uh, they are different from the Latter Day Saints, um, in particular. Uh, we've seen video of them, uh, basically drinking, smoking and shooting guns. <laughs> so they're much tougher hombres, uh, than, you know, what we usually associate Mormons to be. Um, we, we don't usually think of Mormons doing any of those things. And in particular over the, the decades, uh, they have tangled with some pretty nasty characters, uh, in Northern Mexico especially some of the drug gangs who live there or, or uh, control that territory uh, and, uh, on their way to the U.S. market for drugs. Right. So this is where we get to yet another layer down. So we start with, okay, this is a, a horrible uh, a crime in which women and children are killed. Forgot to add 
that afterwards bodies were left in vehicles and then they were were lit on fire. Video yeah. video of this has then been put on the internet by the victims' families to show how horrible the crime was. Yeah, it's some it's some Breaking Bad type stuff, and the Mexican cartels are really renowned for this type of terroristic violence. Um, you know, and this is just the latest in a series of outrages. Uh, that really started uh, about 13 or 14 years ago. Um, so let's set the table uh, with a previously on Mexican drug cartel violence. This basically got started in a big way. <laughs> Uh, during the George W. Bush administration uh, in 2006. Uh, so the naughty Audis, um, we had had drug cartels prior to that, um, but they were mostly larger, um, sort of very rigid hierarchical organizations that could sort of enforce rules and limit violence amongst themselves. In addition, they worked hand in glove with the Mexican government uh, which was dominated by the PRI, uh, one-party state, for something like, well, the entirety of the 20th Several century. Several decades. Basically. Yeah, quite a long time. Um, this arrangement breaks down uh, in the early 21st century when the PRI loses its grip on power and new types of politicians actually rise to the fore. In 2006, uh, Mexicans elect Felipe Calderon as president and... He declares, basically, the Mexican war on drugs. And he says, you know, I am sick of uh, these cartels operating with impunity, uh, basically transporting uh, drugs, including Colombian cocaine, Mexican marijuana, uh, heroin, synthetics, basically everything you can think of uh, across Mexican highways into the United States. And making anywhere between fifteen and thirty billion dollars a year, doing it by most es estimates. Um, so he deploys the Mexican army to fight these cartels, and uh, basically a insurgency ensues. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, tens of thousands of Mexicans have died in the roughly decade and a half since uh, Calderon touched off the Mexican drug war. Uh, and it has been extremely nasty stuff. The reality is we can't do, we can't talk about this without also discussing the demand side, which is Americans. In this very wealthy country, Americans consume and demand a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs. So, for example, there's a Congressional Research Service report that came out last year, which says um, the following. Uh, this illustrates the point of why this is, in fact, a big international relations problem. As Mexico's transnational crime groups expanded their control of the opioids market. That's right. We're not just talking about meth or heroin or crack. Opioids. U.S. overdoses rose sharply to a record level in 2017 with more than half of the 72,000 overdose deaths involving opioids. So in 2017, 72,000-ish uh, overdose deaths in America, 47,000 of them involved opioids. A Big, big chunk of those opioids are coming from Mexico. And the DEA has said 
that the greatest, the greatest crime threat to the United States is the drug trafficking influence. This is a this is an American issue for several reasons, not just uh, not just because, as we as I just said, because we're demanding it, it becomes a huge public health issue, which makes it a political problem in America as well. Yeah, and it's something that the Trump administration, with varying degrees of success, uh, has you know pledged to do something about. Um, and you're right. Um, the Mexican cartels largely started out in marijuana and cocaine. Um, but as various major U.S. states like California have legalized marijuana recreationally or, or for um, medical use, uh, they've lost that market and they've basically gone looking for other stuff to sell. Um, so now they're into methamphetamine. They're into fentanyl. It's a synthetic opiate, right? Correct. And uh, it's uh, it can kill you very, very quickly, um, much quicker than heroin or, or even Oxycontin or anything like that. Um, Calderon did not succeed in destroying the Mexican drug cartels uh, during his administration, which lasted till 2012. His pre- his uh, successor uh, was this guy, Enrique Pena Nieto, um, who, you know, did some things differently, but basically maintained the same basic policy. Um, if you look at a graph of homicide rate uh, in Mexico, it basically goes straight up um, from the years 2006 to 2018 during these two successive administrations. All of these guys managed in doing when they deployed the army was busting up these much larger hierarchical organizations into much smaller warring fiefdoms. Um, and sort of groups of thugs uh, that have basically conducted a running battle across various Mexican states. Um, and so some places in Mexico um, are now among the most dangerous places in the world in terms of homicides, uh, mass murders, disappearances, kidnappings, uh, any metric you care to name. Um, and in fact, the Mexican state of Chihuahua uh, is one of the most dangerous places in Mexico. And that is basically on the border between Chihuahua and, uh, um, Sonora, Sonora. Yes. Uh, is where this shooting went down. Um, and so, um, that's said, that's, uh, the previous line for, for the Mexican drug war. Uh, let's get into kind of what happened exactly. And, uh, what the, what the current thinking is on, who did this and why they did it. So we're talking about illegal activity, very profitable illegal activity. Well, in a sovereign state, a state that has rule of law like Mexico. Supposedly. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can get the, we can go there right now. Today, a Republican senator from Nebraska, Ben Sass, said um, that he says, he says that Mexico is on the verge of becoming a failed state. Well, part of the basis for calling a state a failed state is the failure to maintain rule of law. And so we're starting to see this, these things like this crime today is evidence of that in this one specific way. Okay, you can have a country that has rule of law in which organized cr- crime kills uh, civilians. Fine. But what you're starting to see is that these Mormons, this is, this is sort of a blowing up point of a years-long dispute between Mormons and drug cartels 
Mormons be, Mormon colonies being close to the American border, in which the Mormons have had to take uh, their own safety into their own hands, bringing in lots of money and guns from the United States into Mexico, where they're not supposed to have the guns. They had to bring it. They had to change the political leadership in their area to then allow the, to get laws passed so that they could then have guns, so that they could have these guns to protect themselves and police their own colonies because of their fear of being attacked and killed, justifiable fear, as we've seen today, of being attacked and killed by uh, by these drug cartels. Yeah, so uh, going, going back about 10 years ago, um, two prominent members of this sort of extended family of Mormons were kidnapped and killed uh, by a, a local drug cartel. Um, in the intervening decade, it seemed as though, from, from what we've read, um, the Mormon colon- colonists and uh, the the local cartels had reached some kind of dantant uh, in that there weren't that many kidnappings. Uh, nobody was getting shot. Uh, things seemed to be calming down. Um, so it's kind of weird uh, to ask, well, why now? Uh, why this particular convoy of three vehicles filled with women and children? Was this a deliberate attack? Uh, by the cartels on the Mormon colonists with whom they have a violent history, but seemingly had kind of put that to bed over the past decade, or was it actually an accident? Uh, Did they think that this convoy was full of uh, rival gang members or something like that? Yeah, it's, it's a little hard to tell, but the answer of like, okay, so the official word from uh, Mexican authorities is that it may have been a case of mistaken identity. Um, if if you look so if you look at images of the folks that were killed it they look like regular caucasian americans this does not it just doesn't and the way in which the crime was perpetrated it seems highly unlikely just as like a common sense thing that this was an oopsie situation yeah i i have to agree with you um it does seem unlikely uh it's you know Obviously, we're not there, and we don't know the principles. Uh, we know very little about any of this, right? Um, so this could be a continuation of, you know, basically a grudge match that has going on, been going on for decades, and had just been dormant for a while. Um, or um, it could be, you know, these drug gangs uh, basically breaking down into smaller and smaller units. Uh, and having basically worse command and control than they used to. Right. But, okay, to add on to this, okay, in the first six months of this year, uh, there's reports that there have already been 17,000 homicides in Mexico, uh, which is a new record. And I think perhaps uh, while we're talking about egregious Mexican crimes, there's one that should not go... Uh, without discussion, El Chapo, who I think at this point uh, most Americans have at least heard the name, uh, is perhaps the most notorious drug kingpin since Pablo Escobar. Uh, last month, 35 Mexican police and National Guards were forced to release his son, Oviedo Guzman, after the Mexican police and National Guard troops were surrounded by El Chapo's uh, I mean, we'll call it private army. It was a private army. <laughs> like, they outgunned the national army and police. They are, in fact, a private army. That is correct. 
Yeah. Yeah. These guys, once again, make something between 15 and $30 billion a year collectively. That buys state-of-the-art stuff for killing people. Uh, we're talking advanced body armor. We're talking anti-tank rifles. We're talking mounted machine guns on trucks, night vision. You name it. These guys have it. They probably have drones. They have grenade launchers, rocket launchers. They have it all. They can and have fought the Mexican army to a standstill. And that is a nation state army that has been equipped and works with the United States. Equipped by and works with the United States. Yeah, it's it's pretty serious. Um, after this break, I think uh, we'll get into some of the implications that spin out of this uh, pretty nasty crime. Hello, valued listeners. If you like what you're hearing on The Elucidators, please do us a solid and tell everyone you know about the podcast. If you really love us, please also feel free to rate us five stars on your podcast store, be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever, and write us a glowing review, because we rely on your positive feedback and word of mouth to grow and improve. And if you have comments or questions, you can email us at allonewordtheelucidators at gmail.com or tweet us at the underscore elucidators. We may even answer your question on the show. All right, we're back. So, Sumi, earlier you were talking about state failure um, and Senator Ben Sass from uh, the great state of uh, Nebraska um, basically saying, well, Mexico is now on the verge of being a failed state. So the United States needs to pay attention to this situation above and beyond um, kind of, you know, this really nasty attention getting crime that was just occurred. Um, what does he mean by that? Why is it important for the United States to pay attention to this right Look, now? This is a crazy thing. Uh, Mexico is not, a, in spite of the way many folks in the United States talk about Mexico, Mexico is not a poor country. No, it's middle income, actually upper middle income. It is by any measure, one of the 15 or 20 biggest economies in the world. Uh, putting it in league with countries like Spain and Australia, the Netherlands, Saudi Arabia. This is not a poor country. It is, in fact, a country that is incredibly corrupt. It's bad. It's very unequal. It has a level of inequality actually very similar to Chile, uh, which is another OECD member. Uh, so fairly wealthy, middle income, developing country. Um, so, yeah, pretty bad inequality, certainly, but also... Reasonable economic performance over the last couple decades. Uh, they also have a hopelessly corrupt, uh, I guess, security apparatus, um, starting with the police <laughs> and moving all the way up into the army. Um, and they have hundreds of thousands of people dying or being displaced over the last 15 years um, during this vicious drug war uh, that's been going on basically uh, in the spaces between major tourist hotspots um, like Acapulco uh, and Cancun, you know? Yeah, it, it is. It's a it's a very strange time when you look at like if you just wanted to look at economic indicators in Mexico, you'd be like, OK, it's not. This is not right. a failed state, right? right? But what you have. <laughs> and yet it's being torn yeah, apart. It's the crime rate is massive. Social disruption, again. To to further your point, in certain areas along certain major routes, has, uh, major trafficking routes, has been entirely disrupted. 
Um, it should also be said, and I think this is obvious, but it should be said, the vast majority of Mexicans are not involved in the drug trade in any way. Not at all. So the, the estimate is that uh, something like 350,000 Mexicans work directly for the cartels, and maybe another 3 million are related to the cartels economically in some way. Um, so we're talking about three to four million people out of a total population of 125 million, right? So the vast majority of Mexicans have absolutely nothing to do with this, and they want nothing to do with this. They want it to stop uh, because it's disrupting their lives, and people are being killed in broad daylight and being hung from bridges uh, with signs on them. Right. This this has become uh, a bit of a, a Hollywood fascination point, but it's not like it's just made up by screenwriters in L.A. The theatrical ways in which cartels have taken to killing uh, killing folks that come up against them, get crosswise with them, and displaying their bodies, often hanging them from public bridges, beheading them and displaying heads on spikes, this sort of thing, it is tremendously, let's just say chilling, to the ability to have a functioning society. Yeah, we're gunning down SUVs full of women and children and then lighting those SUVs on fire. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that Mexican drug cartels have become notorious for, like much worse than the Colombians ever were. Um, right. Which so, is a crazy thing. <laughs> this is, you know, earlier today, uh, earlier today, the, the question of, you know, Ben Sass says, okay, well, this is a uh, this is coming up on a failed state. The president um, tweeted the following: A wonderful family and a wonderful family and friends from Utah got caught between two vicious drug cartels who were shooting at each other. With the result being many great American people killed, including young children and some missing. Uh, <clears throat> if Mexico needs or requests help. In cleaning out these monsters, the United States stands ready, willing, and able to get involved and do the job quickly and effectively. The great new president of Mexico has made this has made this an issue, a big issue. But the cartels have become so large and so powerful that you need some time. You need sometimes an army to defeat an army. This is right. the time for Mexico, with the help of the United States, to wage war on the drug cartels and bring them. And wipe them off the face of the earth. We merely await a call from your great new president. Yeah. And that great new president is this guy, Antonio Manuel uh, Lopez Obrador. Uh, he goes by the sobriquet AMLO. Those are his initials. And uh, it doesn't seem as though he's going to uh, be making the call that uh, President Trump is waiting for. Um, no. In fact, this is, yeah, go ahead. He, he's actually adopting the exact opposite tack. He ran on a peace platform with the cartels. He said, basically, my two predecessors, uh, you know, uh, Calderon and uh, uh, Peña Nieto, went to war with the cartels. And our homicide rate basically doubled and then almost doubled again over the course of 12 years. This has not worked. I am moving to a policy of hugs, not bullets. Those are his words. Um, so he is standing down the military confrontation with the cartels, hoping that they will be able to reconstitute and police themselves. His argument, he is a leftist, uh, a socialist. His, his argument is that 
the underlying problem uh, that is driving cartel violence is actually uh, the fact that too many Mexicans are poor and it's easy for the drug cartels to recruit basically cannon fodder, uh, give them assault weapons and send them off to kill and die because they have no money and no prospects. If Mexico uh, reduces its inequality and sort of improves the livelihoods of its poor people, then the allure of the cartel lifestyle and those cart- that cartel money will naturally decrease. But here's the thing. He's standing down and things aren't really getting better, at least not in the short term. Right? It also needs to be said that the president of the United States put himself in an awful position vis-a-vis Mexican relations with the way he talked about Mexicans and immigrants from Central America. Uh, Yeah, that's a great point. No, it cannot possibly benefit the president of Mexico in this moment, as far as I know, to then take up common cause with, uh, with the president of the United States, who has, I think, kindly and diplomatically put, spoken disparagingly of Mexicans. Indeed, he has. Uh, he's broken off NAFTA, and he continues to sort of uh, poke and prod the Mexicans about immigration issues. And yeah, then there's all the obviously racist rhetoric uh, from the 2016 campaign as well. Um, uh, on on Amlo's part of things, uh, he is very much uh, in the tra- tradition of the Latin American nationalists, uh, especially the leftist nationalists. Um, so he is... Uh, very suspicious of American motives and is in sort of the Yankee go home mentality uh, uh, that (laughs) is very well worn um, in Latin America. Um, We kind of cycle between, uh, you know, anti-Americanism and pro-Americanism in Latin America. And it it would appear that Mexico is entering a, an anti-American phase uh, of its history. And it has good reason to do that given uh, the current occupant of the White House. Right. Um, To make this an even broader uh, international relations question, you know, for for big picture international relations folks, this challenge of drugs and cartels and murder, if you're looking at this like a political, like a real politique or someone who's concerned with like, the realness of politics, you're basically going to say the following. This is largely a Mexican problem and Mexico poses no threat to the United States and its ability to actually, to its ability to survive or thrive. This country continues. Yeah. You can, you can always count on realists to uh, miss, (laughs) miss the trees for the forest. Right. Right. Uh, And if you're a good, happy liberal who says like, Oh, let's increase, increase trade and let's c- increase our connections together because this will lead to more peace. You can also say, well, there's also a giant problem there because th- we're now dealing in massive illegal economies. Right. This entire thing is a multi-hundred billion dollar black market. And the bottom line is uh, Americans have an insatiable appetite for illegal drugs. Uh, there are two possible solutions to this problem. One is that all of a sudden people just stop wanting to do drugs. Unlikely. Uh, the other solution is, of course, to legalize drugs so it is no longer a black market. Uh, and in some ways, we're in the process of doing that. And it's actually proven 
somewhat effective against the Mexican cartels uh, vis-a-vis marijuana, right? Yeah. Uh, Certain states, big states like California, growing states like Colorado have legalized, um, which has then therefore tamped down the demand for Mexican, illegal Mexican marijuana. But as but yeah, but but we're not going to be legalizing methamphetamine anytime too soon or fentanyl, right? No, and frankly, I, look, I don't. You know, I'm I'm sympathetic, at least uh, intellectually, I'm sympathetic to the libertarian argument of like, well, we should legalize narcotics and we should figure out ways of doing it in ways that allow yeah well how about this we actually did fucking legalize narcotics sumi we we did they're called opiates remember pardue pharmaceuticals those guys yeah uh this is they've been printing money hooking americans on uh dope right like i said i'm intellectually sympathetic i in practice i this is stuff that's way beyond um you know the the obvious historical analog on prohibition and repeal of prohibition is the cent- a century ago when alcohol was prohibited, alcohol's consumption distribution was prohibited in the U.S., and this led to a yeah. boom in organized crime and mafia and bootlegging and speakeasies. Well, to the point, to to your point about uh, fentanyl is not uh, a mint julep in some dude's basement where you have to know a secret knock. All over, you know, Los Angeles, there are bars that call themselves speakeasy where you have to know the secret password to get it. And to the point that of how anodyne these things really are, most of these speakeasies have Facebook pages where you have to know the secret password to get in. It's bananas. It's like, it's a theme now for recreation of this thing that was in fact a serious public health and political problem. Anyway, long, long story longer when we're talking about drugs like heroin and crack, crack cooked with rat poison, uh, fentanyl, opioids, we're talking about narcotics that work on different levels. And frankly, I don't know what the easy answer is. Clearly, there isn't going to be a sudden drop and a, a sudden cease to uh, American demand for narcotics. However, I, I don't know what you do going forward. I also don't know what AMLO does going forward in terms of uh, continuing hugs, not bullets, because Again, if 17,000 Mexicans have been killed in the first six months of this year, and it looks like those numbers are going to be even worse during the second half of 2019, boy, hugs not bullets might just not might not be politically tenable. Yeah. So if you if you look at the graph I mentioned earlier for Mexican homicide rate uh, for these first two presidential administrations, so the Calderon administration and then the uh, Peña Nieto administration. So that's the years 20, uh, 2006 to 2012, and then 2012 to 2018, you get two big jumps in the Mexican homicide rate. Um, the third guy comes in, AMLO. He's like, I'm going to try the opposite because this is not working. Uh, it looks like we're going to get a third big jump trying the opposite. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like, well, that was worth trying, but... Uh, it seems like we're still having even worse problems. Right. So do we go back to confronting the drug gangs with violence? Right. Um, we've already tried that. That's not going to work. Where do we go from But here? now the other part is to go back to the Trump tweet where he said, these folks, these cartels are monsters and have armies and you need an army to fight an army. Two quick points. One, Mexico has an army. 
Yeah, a good right. one that that we equipped. Right. And number two, <laughs> so now American policy towards Mexico, based on presidential uh, declarative policy, has moved from we're going to build a wall to keep out all illegal all illegal drugs and in uh, undocumented immigrants from coming into this country. And Mexico is going to pay for that wall to, hey, there's, there is a wall being built. Uh, let's nobody consider the fact that everyone that tries to scale or break this wall can do so. Uh, but now, now, <laughs> the, now the policy is, oh, hey, now we're going to send in the American army. The U.S. military is going to go into a massive country like Mexico with dispersed uh, drug cartels and their private armies all over this country and we're going to fight them. No, I don't think we're going to do that. Uh, I frankly, um, I think what's probably going to happen, um, is that Amlo may or may not, uh, abandon his policy of hugs, not, <laughs> I said hugs, not drugs. It's hugs, not guns yeah. or hugs, not bullets. Um, if he doesn't, then we have another five years of that policy. He can't run for re-election. The next guy, I'm sure, will be back to military confrontation. Um, I bet that AMLO abandons this and just goes back to using the military. Um, the the core problem is just the massive wash of money uh, from this black market, washing over all of Mexican society and corrupting all of its institutions, including the police forces, uh, Congress people. And the army that I referenced earlier. Yeah, it is a good army that is equipped well. Um, but every Mexican president that comes in basically dissolves the last special drug fighting task force and forms a new one uh, because they can't trust that the old one hasn't been corrupted by the billions from these cartel leaders. Um, there's just money everywhere. So we actually have to cooperate with the Mexicans and figure out a way to try to cut down uh, the amount of money getting to these cartels. It's really difficult to do uh, because of that, you know, previously mentioned insatiable demand for illegal drugs in the United States. Um, I also I also just want to say one last thing on the complete uh, implausibility of the president, the President Trump's tweets. The idea that like, oh, we're just waiting on a call. The United States is just waiting on a call from the Mexican president to send in the U S army to send in the military is 100% just hung AMLO out to dry because now politically it's like, well, now you're saying that the president of Mexico is not handling this stuff and he's not even willing to accept help. So the only way to deal with the only way that the president of the U S thinks that the president of Mexico can handle his massive domestic violence problems and organized crime problems is to ask for help from the United States, something he knows is not politically tenable. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. It's uh, it's a little piece of, uh, you know, grandstanding that uh, may play well to the base, I suppose. It's what international relations folks call cheap talk. Cheap talk. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, loose 128 character messages flying around uh, without a lot of follow up. Um, there's not going to be any follow up here, I don't think. Um, if there is some sort of follow-up, it will probably be in the form of intelligence cooperation, um, drones, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you're not going to be seeing, uh, you know, uh, send in the Marines or anything like that into Northern Mexico. Very unlikely. 
Um, all right. Uh, shall we put a bow on it and um, yeah. leave it there? Uh, once again, this is a tragic occurrence. Um, it, uh, it affected both of us uh, to, to see these videos online. Uh, and we felt like we had to talk about it this week. Yeah, and this is the uh, the challenges of what to do with narcotics, demand, supply, and the tie-in with violence and organized crime. It will go on. This is not a story that... Nope. So that means we can deploy our catchphrase, right? Yeah, we'll continue to monitor the situation. Perfect. All right, we'll leave it there. All right. Later, Steve. Later.